0: Sidewalks is an annual pop-up storytelling, ideas and literature festival run by the Centre for Stories. On 9th of October 2021, the third iteration of Sidewalks took over Perth and Northbridge with a curated whirlwind of talks, performances and readings. Special thanks to the sponsors that made Sidewalks possible in 2021. The Department of Local Government, Sport and Cultural Industries, Centre for Stories Founder Circle, Rayner Real Estate and Aspen Corporate Financial Planning. Thanks also to our in-kind venue partners for the City Block, Randall Humich and St George's Cathedral. This is a recording from Still Waters Run Deep, a conversation between writers, directors and theatre makers Simone de Torbay, Jay Emanuel and Mararo Wongai, facilitated by Sheila Magadza. They discuss how creative practice and the creative self can become censored, diluted and sanitised when producing work for the white gaze.
1: Still Waters Run Deep. This is the title of this event. Um, And this is the second part of our city block of sidewalks, in case you have no idea what you're doing here and you just randomly walked in. (laughs) We're doing a literature festival. Thank you so much to our venue partner, Randall Humich, for providing us this central location. Um, And Still Waters Run Deep is a conversation with these beautiful writers, directors, theatre makers about how creative practice and the creative self can be censored diluted and sanitised when producing work for the white gays story of my life. We ask, what is the work that BIPOC creatives really want to make and for whom? This is going to be really exciting. I'm really curious to know how hot this will get or how cool it will get. But luckily we've got Sheila here who's going to be facilitating this discussion. And we've got uh, Simone. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, Jay over here as well, Jay Manuel Mararo as well, the beautiful uh, artist. And then we've got Sheila. And now, if you don't know anything about Sheila, you should know. Um, she is an artistic director, producer, and she's been... Oh, sorry, this past life stuff, isn't it? She was an artistic director and producer for many events and festivals. She's an advocate for artists at a community level and creating international opportunities for touring and exchange. Sheila is currently the... Executive Director of the Chamber of Arts and Culture, WA. I'm going to pass this over to Sheila, and then I'll come at the end to whisk you off to the next event. So thank you so much. Enjoy. Oh.
2: <laughs> thank you, Subjit. Um I think we should have just kept going with her for the next 15 minutes for our <laughs> comedy half hour. Um, but instead, we're going to get serious now. Um, and I'll just give you a little bit of background about uh, the three panellists here. Um... We all thankfully have in common a British imperialist background in our family history so we're starting in a, with a great deal of commonality. Simone de Tobey is an emerging actor and writer and filmmaker, aren't you from Darwin. Um, she's Malak Malak from the Northern Territory and Gunyandi woman from WA. Uh, Marara one guy sitting next to her, is Kenyan born writer performer and a media graduate with a passionate interest in diverse storytelling. And Jay Emanuel, sitting next to me, is a theatre maker, writer, director, creative producer, and community advocate. Very strong. Um, So, Centre for Stories have given us a little uh, hand grenade of a topic to (laughs) go with today. And I've thought a bit about how we can do it whilst remaining both truthful and respectful. Um, And I thought we'd do it in kind of two broad themes. So, the first is about... Consciousness. It's about the self and identity and our internal worlds and how we deal with that as a creator, performer, etc. in our practice. The second bit is our presence in the world, the context and our externalities, like when we find ourselves in different spaces and our impact on those spaces or the impact of those spaces on us. And I think it's all important now that we're in the 21st century that those spaces are often digital. Uh, media-driven and um, other influences that we really grapple with as well in in interacting with the world. So just keep in mind those two little themes, inner world and outer world, as we go into the panel discussion. But I thought we'd just kick off so you can get a feel for each of our panellists with a a question to each of them, and then we'll roll with a discussion. And so, Simone, I'm starting with you and the internal world. Um, this question about uh, the white gaze, I think, is a bit... You know, maybe uh, that's not actually what's going on because you go on a huge inner journey of creativity and then you embark on either a solo or collaborative journey. But then there's a point of decision-making when you expose that creative self to an audience. So when you're making work, who's the audience that you're thinking
3: about when you go through that journey? Oh, that's... <laughs> that's, a, that's a big... That's a, that's a good question. Um, I did think about this on the way here. And I think part of... I'll start with this in terms of inner journey stuff. I feel like right now I'm in a season of stillness. So creating and stuff's all a bit on the simmery, nice... Like on the back part of the oven where it's all just on the stove. But it's all getting nice and juicy. Um, so I, don't really, I haven't really been thinking a lot about audience right now. But I think... I think if I have to really think about it, I'm intrigued with like people that are just wanting to exchange, like how you walk into an space and open yourself to an exchange and how as an artist, I do that, not being the artist that's on stage being like, I'm the performer and you must look at me and hail me and clap me at the end because I'm so great. It's more just like, what can I bring into a space and then whoever's in the audience how are we exchanging because everything is an exchange I think we have this divide of the stage like right now there's just like sort of invisible line sitting here and you're there and I'm here and I, I really struggle with that at the moment and I think that's why I'm sitting in terms of audience it's just genuinely how you engage and like sort of break that little tiny line even if it's quite small it's there And I think that's really important because historically we have these like really hard lines of performance and how we consume that and even more in the digital age now, it's like through screens and we, we are more disconnected in that way of like sitting in a room, we're all feeling each other's energy in some way, like we really are. And that's a beautiful thing. So how do I sit in that space, whoever comes through the door or if it's outside or if it's in a conversation with someone, it's like, how do we... How do I sit within that space of exchange with whomever it is?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we go back to the pot on the, on the stove? <laughs> yeah. Because that's the, the, the important bit now. While that's simmering away, where are you getting your ingredients from? Like, this is in your subconscious, isn't it? Oh, yeah. What, what are you drawing? Well, it's just working away in the background, what do you think's feeding it?
3: I think it's um, – I think a lot of it right now is being in the world, with pe- with, not just with people, but in nature – I go for walks every single day. This is a bit lame, but I'm going to tell you this story anyway. There's just it's springtime, right? So I live next to High Park and there's ducklings. So many ducklings. And I followed this sort of family of ducklings recently. And I will, this is a little bit of a sad note, it started with eight and now there's five. So it's a little bit, I know, but I'm, I'm with them on this journey. And I just think for me it's important because I'm sitting there watching these little ducklings feed themselves. Just like... And I just, I don't know, like that, that feels really joyful to me and it gets me out of the thought of creating or all these things and just being like, well, that is life in front of me. That's, I'm exchanging with nature right now, I'm just having this moment and that's important. So I think it's just lots of things, like my friend Lizzie's sitting here and I have mad conversations with her um, So yeah, I think it's just being in life right now that is the ingredients, whatever form it comes. Like I listened to a podcast this morning that my best friend sent me about parenting and I was like, and like parenting and trauma and stuff like this. And I was like, oh, great, great. I cried a little bit because I was like, wow, things are coming up for me. So I think it really is just being in life and being open and receptive. And to do that, you have to find stillness. And I don't know how we do that fully in the world that we live in today. That's the biggest question I'm asking myself. But I think it is just carving out little spaces and times where you just watch the darklings and put your phone down for five minutes, even if it's just five minutes. Yeah.
2: So I'm thinking about um, what informs those... your own gaze on the world before we get to other people gazing at you and how you then use that to form the work that you're making. So, Jay, we're going to go on to your very difficult question now. <laughs> um, and I'm thinking about the work of a Kenyan writer, actually, Ngugiwa Tiongur, who wrote a beautiful essay, Decolonizing the Mind, and the work of Franz Fanon for him. So anybody who's come on that journey as a person of colour does inevitably have that conversation running around in the back of their head. Which side of the fence am I on? And a lot of that post-colonial literature is still very much informed by, well, I'm um, V.S. Naipaul and I got on a ship and went to Oxford or wherever he went and then wrote all this stuff. So, we're, you know, just being aware, I guess, of the baggage that comes with all of that. But then, Jay, I'm going to put you in the hot seat now. You've just founded a new company, Encounter, congratulations. And you say in doing so that you're trying to make invisible stories visible in the contemporary world. My question to you is that when I go and look at some of the imagery you're using on your website, I find it quite confronting. And I want to know what went on in your head when you were thinking about shaping this kind of statement that you're making to the world.
4: Um, well, I was, I was quite interested in kind of like why the image was confronting. It is of five children who are five young people at the beach and walking with this hopeful energy at the shore and just coming out of the water australian waters and i find i I think the thought of it and the way it's framed i think it's the context that makes that image confrontational because it's an image that we see so many times and it's here and i think children of the sea uh, the work from which that image is taken um well Every image is a story, right? And it's, it's sort of, it's asking the audience, the person who's viewing the image, to come deeper into the story because it's directly looking at the people. Because I don't think it's a conversation that's, that only the refugees need to have or the refugee advocates need to have, but actually the Australian society needs to have as, as one body. Um, and I feel that is, that is why there is confront, there is, there is, um, it's confronting because it asks you of certain level of vulnerability from Mm. the audience member. Mm.
2: I guess my, my wrestling with it, I also worry about playing into imagery of little brown children that we've seen through media in different ways over, you know, many years and Ensuring that somehow there's power in the story that's uh, that's given to those people as well, um, and it's a tough one because the stories that you're telling are not from a position of power; they're from a position of being disadvantaged. But you don't want to leave people in that state forever, do you? You want to somehow use your storytelling to shift that.
4: I think in that was that was the point. I mean, like, which had a huge impact on the process of the work of creating the work as well. At first, it was, it was starting from, oh, can we write a play? But then it, was, it became very important to have the young people involved in the process of the telling, the making of the work, even sort of like what imagery we um, ended up having. Before, because it took us about three to, well, f- four years of discussions with young people, this particular group, around what do you want the impact of the show to be? Why, why are we coming together to actually tell this story? And out of those conversations, I feel... You know, there was, there was this line that one of the young persons said, and it went a little bit like this. I'd like the play to make a change in how people see refugees. And that image, they felt that there was power, and they had the power in that image, and they were taking it back. So I feel that's where... That, that's the little bit of a history of how that image came to be.
2: Maybe we could do a 10 years on photo where they're, you know, <laughs> lawyers, doctors, mm. prime ministers of Australia, artists. the same people, artists. exactly, artists. Mararo, um, both you and Jay recently had works in the Perth Festival, which I used to work for. Um, and I wanted you know, I'm sure that uh, both of you went through you know, a whole set of experiences to bring the work to life in that context. And without necessarily talking about that specifically, I'm interested in this question then of when you're making work as a theatre maker because it's so collaborative and it happens in so many very defined spaces. Theatres have a particular culture around them. They often have particular audiences already attached to them. Um, and subject as well here has been through that experience as well, you know, when you're trying to bring not only your work, but your people into a space, how you try and attack all those problems in one. And what I want to know is that as you go through that process, you know, is, is there a systemic bias that makes it inevitable that you start to temper your work and reorient it towards the building, the institution, the people that are already there? Or what was your thought as you went through it?
5: That's a huge question. Wow. <laughs> right. um, just to begin with, This setting always makes me so nervous because I'm just, I don't know, I can't hide behind being an actor or word. So, (laughs) excuse me if I'm stammering or if I get intimidated. It's just, it's not my usual. Yeah, anyway, put that aside. Um, I think I have to, not I think, I know for a fact I have to thank Zainab for creating a space that really allowed everyone that I let into the creative space um, to be there because I wanted them to be there. And Matt coming on board and Afif even before this became a thing, I knew that I had a strong team that would make sure that the story that we're telling would be authentic, would be um, daring, and would not try and give easy answers, not that I believe in giving answers in creating art, but I felt that I had a good enough team that I could go into this big lion's mouth that is the state theater, that is Black Swan, that is Perth Festival, that has an audience that comes to theatre that usually expects black-brown stories to come from abroad, as though these stories don't exist here, yeah, there was all that to deal with, and um, I don't know. I just it was very liberating working with someone like Zainab because she just kept pushing us to to con- to honestly, Perth Festival was not even on my periphery at all when when we're creating Black Brass with the development, and she kept saying, why not, why not, why, why not get Ian in the room, why not? And it was always a question. It wasn't a I wasn't being pushed. It was let's talk about it, let's see, and and and, and keep the conversation going. And it, it got to the point where I was asking myself, why not? Why don't these stories deserve to be put on as high as pe- a pedestal as that? You know, because for me, I was like, why don't why, am I, why don't why don't I make stories that can go out into these communities and say that your stories are worth holding up and, and, and for you guys to discuss them in, in, in your own? Because I don't know if, any, if all of you know the story of Black Brass. It came from interviews that I did with about um, 2019 um, individuals that come from the um, diaspora and African continent. Um, yeah, I was like, why am I not t- taking those stories there? Why am I bringing it to the Perth Festival and saying, let everyone else, the usual white audience, the usual theater going audience, come and watch it? And I struggled with that for the longest time. Mm. You know, I struggled with, am I, am I capitulating? Am I compromising and saying it wouldn't work the other way around? And I still, I just, I still haven't quite found peace with that yet. Mm. And I think that's kind of why the community engagement became a really vital part of it for me, that even if you didn't come and see the show, You could still come and listen to some Kenyan music, some Nigerian music in the foyer and can still have some Ethiopian coffee and feel safe in this space, recognize yourself in this space, don't feel intimidated. Because I've been performing for about, what, nine years, which is very short, when you think about it, but I still feel very intimidated in these spaces. I still feel very uncomfortable. I feel it's not my place yet. I I don't know if many of you have walked in the backstage of Black Swan. All the posters you see, white, 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 and you're like, wow, are there no other stories, you know, and I think there's one indigenous poster as well, you know, and there's one African puppet as well, and I'm like, (laughs) like, you, you and and you're about to go and perform a show, and you're like, wow, so the energy that you're coming, you really need to kind of fortify yourself in many ways, especially when you're telling a story that's as intimidating and as, I don't know, as delicate and as fragile as the story that we did with black players, because I don't feel, I'm not, even when I'm speaking now, I'm not speaking on behalf of anyone but myself as an artist, and I feel sometimes that when you asked, when you put a microphone in front of you, people want you to speak on behalf of migrants, on behalf of the African diaspora, and I can't do that. And I don't think it's anyone's right to. Yeah, does that, does that answer the questions? That yeah. hugely open the the. It's mm. complicated. Mm. Yeah.
2: I think the important point you make there, you know, if we take out race and color from this, is many, many artists find themselves in the situation where they are confronting power in mm. one way or another, whether it's through innovation in their art form that goes against convention, mm. or whether it's other cultural mores that they're trying to really destabilise, mm. gender issues, LGBTQI, mm. you know, a lot of those discussions, the forefront of them was held within the community of artists and the work that was made. So,
5: And some th- of them are so ingrained that we don't even know that you're carrying this um, what's the opposite of superior and inferiority complex within yourself? Yes, you know, then you're like, wow, why have I, why am I compromising and not asking questions? And I, I'm so sorry for diverting, but that's no, why no. Fifi was so essential to have in there because he comes from an older generation of, of, of writers and as a poet as well, he was constantly say, was, would talk about, oh, this, uh, this is breaking tradition. And he'd ask, what do you mean traditional theatre? Mm. So like, what do you mean is European theatre when you say traditional theatre? You know, mm-hmm. and he'd always get us to kind of zoom out and like. Just be a bit more globalist in the way we're kind of looking at this, what we're creating. Yeah.
4: I guess I just want to quickly expand on this because I think I think Children of the Sea and Black Brass mm-hmm. both, and um, Thimo, your artistic practice. I think we, I think there's double work. It's not just about telling the story, but actually creating the framework around the story. Yeah. That is one yeah. of the reasons why it takes us so long to actually bring the story to people, mm-hmm. and also the the way it's presented. The 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 structure around the, the the safety around the work, those frameworks don't exist. Mm. And we we continuously battle against it with every single creation that we make at this moment in West Australian theatre, and it's 2021.
3: Yeah. And just on that, yeah, like, obviously this is... Thanks, Mara, for starting us off. But I was in a um, process recently that was writing um, a short film for what is a historically very white education institution. Just leave that there. Mm -hmm. And um, it was for a First Nations class, and they wanted a First Nations writer on. And I was like, yeah, great. And you think you have this platform. And I was like, so for me, and I feel like you guys would so agree, you have to ask a million more questions than someone white in your position will because you, do, even though you're not talking on behalf of your community, you feel a sense of responsibility. You really do. You feel like I'm getting a slight platform or I'm getting this moment, and I feel a sense of responsibility even though I cannot speak for the entirety of the First Nations population and history and 65,000 years of history in Australia. Like, I, I, like, mate, I'm like a drop in the ocean, and I fully love my position, right? But... I was writing this short film and one thing I found really hard and I was lamenting on this on the way here was structural. It was framework. Like I like in film you typically write for a protagonist, one person. You write around a protagonist, you follow their story. And I'm writing a First Nation story and I'm like, that just doesn't work because we live in community. And yes, I can frame it around it because my gripe was it was, it was centering around five main characters and part of... There was a lot of logistics to it, but... I was like, and I've had this sort of idea in my mind for a while and I was like, let's test it out in this framework for now. And I was like, I got so much pushback from my, um, well, she was my mentor, apparently my, my writing mentor. I don't understand it. I don't understand what's happening in the story. There's, you know, focusing around one person. And I just was like, in that moment, and this is what Mariah was talking about in terms of like such decolonization. I turned around in that moment when I got starting getting these feedbacks, not from my, not just from my writing um, mental, but also the institution itself. And I was all the people that were like the executive producers, and I was sitting there like, my initial response was, "I'm wrong. I need to go and change this because I'm at the lesser power, and I've grown up as an Indigenous person in Australia, and that comes with that kind of feeling and weight on you that you were just in a lesser position." And so I was like, okay, I need to go. And I've had that feeling a million other times in my life. But I've been doing a lot of stillness. And sitting on a lot of stillness and want to work recently. And then as soon as that thought came up and that feeling took over my body of just inferiority, I was like, wait, this little beautiful voice was like, that's a lack of understanding on their half, behalf, not yours. And you are now having to write to a systematic Western structure of filmmaking which is centered around one protagonist, which is not the community in which you live. Mm. And I was like... <laughs> I was like, I am not to have to sit with this for one minute and I have a deadline in like a week, but I just need to sit with this like little revelation of my own because it's so ingrained. Mm. It's so ingrained to live like that. And like what Jay was saying the other day, like before people do need to question like with the image, like I'm like, pull more images out there like that in some respects because we as a nation or as individuals, fe- find it hard, and this is why inner work is so important, to even face our own trauma in our own bodies and our own stuff. So then how the hell are we meant to do that as a society? Like if we can't even look in the mirror for ourselves and be like, there's some stuff going on in here that I feel uncomfortable with in my own life and I'm going to work it away, I'm going to do this, going to do that. How the heck then are we meant to do it for everyone? Because if we do say look at First Nations issues in Australia and actually reconcile that and go through a place like, Uh, form of reckoning with our silent history to move forward, then we will treat immigration issues differently. Then we will treat the way we deal with issues from the queer community differently. We will treat women differently. Like, it is a roll-on effect. They're all isms, but they're all in the same thing. It's all part of the same core issue that we are not facing as a society because we cannot face it within ourselves. That's huge work, and it's huge work to do in an individual way. So I, I have empathy for people when I look at them... And I think, wow, they're ignoring their own truth and their trauma. I'm like, I, I understand why, though, because it's bloody hard. <laughs> it's really hard. So it's just this hard duality of sitting there and then confronting your own conditioning in, in any given moment and sitting with yourself and being like, I know I live in a world that's so fast that what I need to do is still be still, which is radical, but I'm afraid to be still. And we're all sitting there at some, in some way. We're all there. And that's hard. It's so hard. It's such an open question as well. It has no, like, real resolution to it. So, yeah.
5: Um,
2: You've also met, you reminded me of the fact that um, this, this is a particular context. So, I grew up in a country where black people were the majority. So, that was, you know, black was normal. And when I got here, it took me a very long time to understand what the implications of minority were especially for indigenous minorities and uh, I think that's you know a whole level of um, of of trauma and a, a kind of different um, impact when you think about like loss of languages and all the things that have um, been going on through all of that but it does make me think of um, Paul Beatty's very cheeky novel um in which he kind of basically is saying, bring back some form of segregation. Uh, what's it called, Paul uh, Beatty? I don't the, know what you're about. the oh, or the sellout. Yeah, it's a satirical, it's a satirical it's novel. Yeah. Um, won a few awards about it in three years. He's a black American writer, and basically, in the course of this book, he realizes it would be better for him and his community if they went back to a segregated way of living, where they could work on their problems, school themselves, etc. The way address the problems that needed to be, address their unhappiness, and then go back out into the world. And it's, it's quite a it's a cheeky book. It's It gets a bit extreme in the end. But I think the point that he's making in that is this idea of within good bicultural practice, you do need to have, as you've said, with um, your piece of safe space to go back to, to have these internal moments, to think about things before then you come back out again into the shared space and start the conversation again, And we don't, perhaps one of the ways that we can empower ourselves and each other is by creating those places, those retreats, Mm. to go and have those thoughts in a safe way and then come back and um, have the question again. Mm. But I'm quite interested. I'm spending a lot of my time now looking at young black people working digitally in film, on TV, and my God, there are some amazing people Mm -hmm. there. I don't know if anyone's watched Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You. Yeah, that, that, you know, just, I was completely shocked because Talk I would not drama. have thought of going mm. anywhere there in my lifetime, and she's light years ahead, and I really mm. admire what they're doing, but I'm interested then in this medium question, mm. Mm. is that, is there is there more power in shifting to other media where you, where you might assert some control? While you're just thinking about that, I want to tell you a story that has been sitting in the back of my mind, which mm. kind of related, but not... Um, but I've been listening to a podcast, an economist podcast, called The History of the Future. Mm. Has anyone listened to it? Mm. Okay, it's about the impact of technology on our lives. And one episode is about the growth of visual culture growing, moving then towards visual, uh, social media. But the, the opening story was about anthropologists going to Papua New Guinea. as anthropo- mm. they, That's where they all go, don't they? Oh. But um, they were sent there to document this particular group of people uh, with a camera and a video, and they, mm. they set about doing it. So, first of all, they took photographs. People were very interested in these photographs, so they printed some out and gave them copies. Mm. So, the Papua New Guinea stuck the photos on their head and walked around with their photo stuck to their forehead, mm. really proud, this is me. Mm. And then they started having conversations with each other, but they were talking to the photos, not to each other. And then they started performing for the cameras because they would they, they noticed that mm. immediately the camera was turned on, the people adapt their mm. behaviours like... Oh, they want to see us Mm. weaving and carving and digging our gardens. So that's Mm. what we'll do. But it became very self-conscious work. Mm. But it culminated in elders asking if they could perform a very big ceremony and have it filmed. Sure, the guys said Mm. they filmed it. The film got developed. took some weeks to come back. The elders watched the performance. They were really happy with the recording. And they said, that's great. Mm. We don't have to perform it anymore because it's there in the film. We'll stop doing it. And they put that ceremony away. And that was, you know, a loss to Mm. the entire community Mm. and the generations coming Mm. after. So I think this whole thing about Marshall McLuhan's The Medium is the message. It's very important, very, very important now as we have all these new tools, Mm. tools that also let us reach audiences across the world. We don't even have to talk to this group of people here today. Mm. Thank you very much for coming. But we could be beaming ourselves to brothers and sisters in Kenya right now and having that conversation. Yeah. So is that in your thoughts at the moment about mm. how that empowers or disempowers you?
3: I think about this a lot because I kind of work in film as well and I, and and live performance, I, I call it live performance and I don't really call it theater, but mm. the point is that I'm going to make, we'll explain why. But I love film. I think film's an amazing medium to tell things. I think the nuance of humans, how you capture them. You could I could put a camera on you all right now and it'd be so interesting because all of your faces and your eyes are doing all little bits and pieces and that's the beauty of film. You can go right in. It's different when you're in a in a theater and it's different when you're doing that. You have to like really get it out there and it's beautiful. But I I come, I grapple with this a lot because One thing I find in the live performance space is the thing that you don't get what you get on film Mm. is this energy that's happening right now, this little subtle undertone of the river that we're we're sitting and we're carving out together. Mm. Again, why? like at the beginning, I was talking about this exchange, like how do you do that? So I then start reframing and thinking, well, traditional theatre, as we know it, I don't think it really capitalises on... Like I sometimes think that you could take a play, make it into a film and it kind of would probably tell the story better in some ways. But I'm like, but with theatre, you, you get this exchange that you're never, 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 never going to get on film, ever. You're never going to feel that energy. You're never going to be in the moment with that person at that space and time, at that moment in this. you just, you're not. So I'm like... Why don't we start thinking about how we then capitalise on the framework of that? How do, we, how do we make work around that exchange? Because if that's the one thing you're never going to get on a film, then that's powerful. Like, I would, I would go and see a million pieces of work if I was... And, ..and sit in spaces with people that were telling beautiful stories and doing that stuff, if that's, the, if that's what we were sort of wanting to work with and that exchange. I think that's beautiful like going to a music concert and you all sing together Mm. you have this exchange that's like you'll never forget Mm. you know what I mean I'm like that's powerful and that's that is going to be with someone's soul and sit in someone's heart for forever so let's do that because that's pretty cool let's not put on a ballet again about the same thing that like no offense that people like ballet and I don't mind it but like you know what I mean like I'm sick of just looking and going to spaces and watching people being like oh great cool I'm like I could go home and watch a film, and (laughs) it's similar, you know. But that's sort of where I sit at the moment, and I know it's very controversial because lots of the and I'm like a theatre maker myself, and I'm like I say this with all due respect, but it's some stuff that I start to think about quite a lot. Can I just
4: add to that? Also, I'm going on a very similar journey where I'm kind of I was questioning if theatre is the best medium uh, to tell the kind of stories that I want to tell, and also the social impact that I want the work to have. Maybe not, but maybe yes, because I recently moved, uh, m- uh, made a move to film and writing for, web- uh, for, for film and screen media, and one of my first experiences was actually, you know, all the work that I did in kind of like creating the framework around my theatre, that does not exist in film either at all. So again, I'm back to the p- point of kind of like having to create the framework for to create any work at all. But when I tell that to the funding agency, it's like, no, your work should be half the price that you just said that it should be. But we actually have a lot of other work to do. We don't have the talent in this town because it hasn't been nurtured. There are already a lot of systematic problems that have been going on for the last 30 years. We have had to undo it if we want to tell a story. But it's too much.
2: Mm.
4: We're made to feel like we're asking for too much.
2: So I think... Picking up on Simone's point, and also Mararo, you know what you said about feeling inferior when you arrive in these spaces, and I, I had that my entire, mm-hmm. you know, career pitching up at places, going, oh my goodness, how did I get here? But um, it makes me think of two things. Number one, that this is an act of optimism, because what mm-hmm. Simone is saying is really important: is that you want to eyeball people, mm-hmm. you want to connect, and you have trust that you can form something good together Mm. so you continue being optimistic even when it's hard Mm. but also as we know theatre is ceremonial theatre is a ceremony with conventions around it Mm. and what you're saying Jay is maybe you're making a new ceremony Mm. but we're being optimistic that people will join in that new way of Mm. of of making work and that ceremony because what's important then is is the circle is full
3: yeah and I I think like it's exciting to even have this conversation because, like, looking at Jay, like, well, you know, I'm like, oh, he's thinking the same thing. Whoa, cool. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, you're like, whoa, there's actually people out that are like, woo, doing. You know what I mean? You're like, I'm not alone. Mm. And this idea of ceremony, which is massive in First Nations culture, I'm like, it is a ceremony, but a ceremony at its core is an exchange of something beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, how do we do that together? Mm-hmm. Like, we're doing it right now, which is kind of incredible, everyone. You know what I mean? It's, mm. but it's not in a normal Western theater context, and it's more like a forum, or I don't know what you call this. Mm. I'm just doing it, but you know what I mean? Like it's already happening, and that's really, I feel hopeful, and I feel, because sometimes you do. You sit in your head, and you're like, "Am I the only one thinking this?" And like, do I like go to make a film, or am
5: I like? I, I wonder if I can pose your question, Simone and Jay. Um, I've heard, I can't, I don't, I don't remember the quote exactly, but film is a director's medium because you get to control the perspective of exa- exactly what, what you want an audience to look at and what you want them to ponder and take in, whereas um, theater is more of an actor's thing. Once those curtains go up, the director has no nothing else to say. You know? And I wonder if it's something to do with being able to control your story a bit more and be able to really pinpoint exactly, now I want you to consider this, now I want you to listen to this, now I want... Is it to do with also being able to really be in control of that journey that you're taking your audience on a bit more fully? Mm,
3: I think, again, going back to this idea of changing frameworks, like, mm. I kind of think that's a bit egotistical of the director
5: mm. to think that they know everything, personally. Uh, maybe not to know, yeah. maybe I've rephrased... Maybe the I've,
2: medium, uh, yeah.
3: Yeah, I, I think, I think it is, but I think, I think there is this beautiful, maybe, hybrid in-between of, mm. like, collaborative process mm. that you get in theatre and then, um, because film's very, a very technical medium... Mm. And, yes, you want your, your audience to see something particular. But, you know, I always find films that are, like, they do one-shot films. It was one of the first films I ever made in uni was a one-shot film. And I thought it was the most amazing challenge because, kind of like theatre, once it started, you can't – you just have to let it go. And, it was, and I remember at that moment thinking, oh, my God, this is like theatre and film together. I was like, because once it starts, you just have to – let it play out and hopefully that your camera gets to the right shot, you know what I mean? So maybe there is like, again, going back to this idea of changing frameworks and, and this is obviously like everyone sitting here being like this is really technical for artists to be thinking about what's this got relevant to do with me but like I think to answer your question, I think multidisciplinary work and the merging of different arts and structures and how we create things I think is the way we're going mm-hmm. and I'm really excited about that like I love multidisciplinary work I love it when there's a million different mm-hmm. things going on to create the most impactful story or space in time that you give your audience and yourself mm-hmm. again that exchange so I think it's a I think it's a changing of the way we and there are um, directors and stuff out there that are doing similar work like they're experimenting with spaces and so it's but again going back to this idea of how do you get funding to do something like that when they're like you're either a film or a theater Mm -hmm. piece and you can't be both and also you've got six weeks to make this thing because that's all the time and money we're going to give you and you're like I don't know how to do that all in six weeks Mm -hmm. like first so yeah I think I think it is a merging of different people's skills and what they're good at with what you're good at and then how do you create this new beautiful in between Mm -hmm. yeah all right, so
2: I think you're all being too cheerful and optimistic and you've saved the world, so I want to put a more, another problem here for you, which is language, because yep. um, language is power and language creates the world. And uh, in Australia, we're very much dominated by English, aren't we? Here we are all discussing this in English. Marara, you, I know, incorporated different languages into the piece that you were making, but I'm thinking also of the outcry around... The piece Secret River, that was done by Sydney Theatre Company, which had Indigenous Ah, performers performing in language. There were no surtitles, no explanation. So the people who were sitting in the theatre, mainly a white audience, kept going, we don't understand what they're saying. Give us the surtitles, damn it. And then there was also a, a kickback from within the Indigenous community who felt that the Indigenous performers had been invisibilized Mm. by the fact that their language was not translated, what Mm. they were saying was not, so Mm. that they were, uh, you know, they were kept mysterious, so to speak, in the story and we never got to understand. I mean, I thought it was a genius way of just showing how when two peoples came together, Mm. it's almost a, um, you know, a a big wheel of fate thing that no matter how we try, sometimes we can't Mm. reach over and understand and then... We end up getting things so terribly wrong. But um, what do you guys think about this issue of language in terms of what we're talking about here?
5: Well, language is always a big thing. It's how do you, one, how do you create work that can be understood and not leave out, I mean, be accessible? And English is the language that we all speak, and that's the language that we're able to understand each other with. But how do you, but even in, in translating, I think things get lost as well, because mm. it's about, I don't know, I struggle with is this, there's that in between of when am I over explaining, and when am I just telling the story? When am I, okay, stop, what, what is a matatu, how do we explain this, a bus, that in Kenya, okay, now let's go into the story, okay, now stop, they don't know what a shamba is, that's a farm, okay, now stop, it, it's like, yeah. Yeah, how, when does it get in the way of telling the story, and when is it, uh, how, and, yeah, I don't, yeah, it's, it's something I'm still trying to figure out, and how do you, I don't know, how do you show how complex that is as well, and that I'm glad that we kept the. We, we didn't try and translate uh, Mahmoud's music. You know, yeah. it was in Shangana. It was in uh, Bidu and Kikuyu, in Swahili, in um, um, Lingala. And you didn't. If, if you got that, if you got it and you understood it, because you're from that community, well and good. If you didn't, up to you. I don't, like that's. Music. It's not. There's no loss by not. You don't have to get everything. You know, you yeah. don't have to list. You don't have to have everything. For my. That's me as one artist speaking, not for all artists anyway. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything lost by that. But how do you create work and, not, and stay accessible? How do you... I don't, know, I don't even know where I'd begin with that, man, mm. you know.
2: How I guess I it's English? really just to acknowledge, I guess that it, it put the frame. It creates mm. a frame immediately. Mm. You start using a language. Then that language is a world, and you're in that world. And mm. also I'm kind of interested in that
4: words and sentences are not the only language. There's the language mm. that is invisible Movements. of the, the poetry of images, mm. the sound, the feeling, the sensations. Mm. That is the language we're playing with mm. all the time. Mm. So I, and, and, and I guess going uh, forward as an artist, I'm trying to stop relying to on, on the language, or in, in, on English, mm. uh, the, yeah, and go back to communicating in a way that we used to communicate in with you know back mm. back in the day
3: mm. i think um, i i love this question so much um because I, I think about this a lot as well i am an actor by trade that's what i trained in that's what i like to do sometimes and i'm questioning it a lot now because i'm like what? but <laughs> I, actors medium is words <laughs> and i got sick and tired of talking and i got sick and tired of being like i'm now going to tell you how you meant to feel at this any given t- time in this performance and it's gonna get hit by the director and everyone in the audience is gonna cry at this moment because we're gonna make it happen, right? So it's garbage, Mm. in my opinion now. And so then I started doing all this other research and I have all these great friends and they're all dancers and then I go to see contemporary dance and it's a different kind of language but nobody knows what's going on and people, a lot of contemporary dancers, every time you go to a contemporary dance show, there are other contemporary dancers there. (laughs) And it's not very accessible, right? And I think the thing I distill it down to is what Jay's talking about. It's this feeling. And that's why I sit in this space right now talking about the exchange with the audience. How strong is your through line in your story? And how much do you you make that the centre of what you're doing? That will translate in some way. Because we're all here for the same thing in some ways, right? We all want that exchange. When we go to the theatre and we watch a film, we, we want to connect in a way that we're not in our everyday life sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So focus on that. And it is all the subtlety. You know, a lot of First Nations language is hand gestures and stuff, but you know exactly what someone's saying. So how do you explore outside of words? How do you do that with movement? How do you do that with music? How do you do that with sounds? How do you do that by just... <coughs> You know, creating a space that you're in, and like, and setting it up for someone to come in. Like, like there are so many different ways you can do that without words. So many. So let's let's do that. Let's try and, and experiment in that. But that's still, again, a bit rogue, and not what Australia does in terms of our arts.
5: So a, a part of me does feel that when Perth Festival was still doing international work, work could come in, work, work could come over that was fully in Greek. And people mm. would say, which would sell out. What mm. could come over in French, and it would sell out. What mm. could come over in whatever language? But it kind of it. It's just the same thing for me. It still, it fetishizes um, the other. It exo- it, it fetishizes the exoticism. It's just saying because you're going to do this in this language, and because you're from abroad, then we should go and see the thing because it's and, and it just I don't know. It just it makes I don't know. I, I still I I don't know what to make of that. You know it it it, it, it it's. It's as it's though we need to import these stories, but they're here. We are sitting here, I bet in this room we have at least, what, 15, 12 languages amongst us, if not more, and I, I don't know, would we go and see a show that was from a, a Perth-based, um, um, I, I don't know, uh, Hindi-speaking performer fully in Hindi? I don't know. Yeah. So what?
2: this is an important point because I think what we're doing here is we're talking in our own closer universe, mm-hmm. which is a very particular universe of buying tickets and going to shows and... It's got a certain commerce around mm-hmm. it, a certain kind of transaction. But out in the communities, people are getting busy doing stuff that mm-hmm. we don't see. Dancing, music, theatre, traditional performances. Mm-hmm. There is going on out there, but it's just not happening in this way where we possibly ascribe value in a way that we're not valuing it where it's happening elsewhere. But I I think it's an important thing to, to check ourselves mm-hmm. and remind ourselves mm-hmm. that as professional arts makers, workers, producers... We should be supporting those communities to do what they do in their own spaces yeah. that we don't even need to mm. um, get involved in or mm. bring out, but to, to remember that that is a huge value to that mm. in that other place. Now, we're coming, Sukjit, close to the end. And shall I make a plug for the universal language of dance? That's what was going on outside <laughs> the door very noisily, wasn't it? So... Um, I think, yes, that should be the the main conclusion of this session is we should dance more
5: because
2: it's so less complicated.
5: Life is a dance. No
2: words, um, no theatre, just dancing, and we'll all be fine. But thank you to my panellists for a very good, meaty discussion um, and for sharing so freely
0: your thoughts and wisdom on this matter. A very meaty discussion. Thanks for listening. To hear more stories and conversations or to make a donation to the Centre for Stories, head to centreforstories.com.